Hey, everybody, and welcome back to episode three of the Fundamentals Podcast. Once again, I am Jack Proctor. I get to serve the Church of St. Michael here in Fort Myers, Florida, and joined, as always, the great man himself, Jeff Tucker. How are you doing? Doing great. Living it up in Phoenix, enjoying this nice indoor weather. Climate is always consistent. Gotta yeah. love it. Yeah, just exploring the space. I decided to take the podcast today on the road, went to our guest room, made a little desk office in there to kind of feel like I'm moving places, feel like I'm yeah. going. So it's a whole Gotta new world. travel. <laughs> Seeing the world. Oh, man. Now we're going to continue diving into the book of Hebrews here together. Uh, just a quick recap for chapter one for everybody in case you missed that podcast. Chapter one in the book of Hebrews is really all about who Christ is. The supremacy of Christ, how different he is from the angel, how he is set apart and be of, how he's begotten, not made. Uh, and we really see his power in creation and also in salvation. Uh, so it's really all focusing about Jesus, really trying to get the reader to be awestruck by who and how great Jesus truly is. Yeah, and then chapter two was the exhortation. So uh, the writer, whoever it is, right, he mm -hmm. lays out uh, a reasoning for who Christ is and, and why we should listen to him. And then he exhorts us to cling to Christ, to uh, acknowledge him in our lives, to, to cling to the gospel that we've been given. And so as we go into chapter three, we kind of get back to some more theology and it's, it's good theology. It's deep theology and it's, it's setting up another exhortation. And that's kind of the flow of this book. It, it goes, um, Theology, exhortation, theology, exhortation for about four sections. And then the final section, the fifth section of the book, really is kind of uh, two, three chapters of just kind of a final exhortation and a farewell. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So let's dive into uh, chapter three. Uh, we're using the ESV translation here. So if you're reading their phone along, that's the way that you can find it. Uh, so chapter three, verse one, here we go. Therefore, yeah. Holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Yeah, so again, uh, I mean, this. therefore, it's saying based again on everything I've just told you, like Jesus is God, Jesus is supreme, he is the heir, and we are now his holy brothers. We're, we're not just... Um, servants of God, which is something that's going to come up later in this chapter, but we are brothers. We share in the family of Christ and, and we share as heirs because of Christ. And so we share in sonship. We are the sons and daughters of God. And that is a great comfort and, and a great privilege that all of us have when we are baptized into the family of God. And then just as Christ, the one true son begun from before the world began, was given a heavenly calling, which was to come to earth to take on our form, to live amongst us, to walk with us, to suffer and die and rise again from the dead. That was his holy calling, his heavenly calling. So we too have received a heavenly calling. We are not just sons for the sake of being sons. We're, we're sons with a calling and our, our heavenly father is asking us to do things. And so uh, think of anytime your, your parent asks you to do something, there's usually a good reason behind it. And, and that's the same thing with what the writer is setting up here. Our heavenly father has called us to do good deeds really while we're here on the earth. And this kind of starts to lay that out. Yeah. And I love how like Martin Luther put it with the idea of God doesn't need your good works. 
but your neighbor does. But he has a purpose for us uh, on with our time here on earth. A lot of times we can just be thinking about our spiritual life. We kind of remove the spiritual from our time here on earth and focus only on that for when we get to heaven. And we think about heaven kind of as this afterlife policy of my faith is not really getting me right now, but later on Jesus will save me and that'll be great. Uh, which can actually be kind of an interesting witness. Our friend Riker, who uh, helped us start this podcast with the idea of the book of Hebrews, uh, he actually has a deathly uh, peanut allergy. And there was actually one time I was around him when he was, uh, he had uh, had contact with peanuts, his allergy was starting to flare up and we had to go see medical personnel. And uh, Riker was actually pretty calm. And it was kind of funny because someone mentioned that, why you seem really calm, why is that? And he mentioned, well, I have a great afterlife policy. And it was a chance to actually witness about, I don't have to fear that because I know where I will be, but we don't want to reduce our faith only to that. God actually has a, a, a heavenly calling. And so we're not just sitting and waiting for Christ to return. He actually has a purpose for us as we look forward to his return. And, and do you want to share a little bit about that uh, second Corinthians passage there that we were referencing before Jeff? Uh, yeah. So we are kind of, so if you look again at, at what this text is saying, and I actually want to go back to the, the first part. Okay. So Christ, um, as he is getting ready for the culmination of his earthly ministry, which is his death and then his mm-hmm. resurrection, he prays that we would be sent into the world. This is one of the mm-hmm. things he prays right before he dies, just as he was sent. So we're sent and Christ came, as Paul says in second Corinthians, uh, to reconcile the world unto God. And so in the same way, Jesus, as Hebrews 3 says, was the apostle and the high priest of our confession. And so this word apostle, uh, it's apostolos, and it's really saying it's a messenger or um, kind of an ambassador or a delegate sent from heaven. And so uh, Jesus was God's greatest messenger. He was God himself. And he came with a message of repentance and reconciliation so that the world could be reconciled towards God. And we are now the ambassadors of that same message of reconciliation. So we have been taken out of the world in a sense so that we are sent back into the world with this new message from heaven, which is really kind of the king has come, he's left and he's coming back. Jesus is coming back and he will establish his kingdom forever. And so while we await the king, we kind of prepare the house to receive him. So if you had a great king coming to your house, you'd probably vacuum. You'd get your affairs in order. You'd make sure you had good food set out for when he got there. We are preparing our hearts and our minds and our souls to receive this new king who is going to establish his kingdom forever. And if you're not in that kingdom, then you are outside of that kingdom. And our goal is to reconcile all people that they would be part of this new kingdom of heaven. Absolutely. And, and I've been thinking about that kind of idea, that mission that we have in, in terms of today with our whole COVID-19 uh, pandemic that's going on. And this idea that I like we're staying home so that not only are we safe, but we want to actually make sure other people are safe, that they are not in danger, that they are also taken care of. And so if we think about it this way, as believers in Jesus, as followers for him, he has already gone to the cross. That's already happened. The victory has been won. Jesus has got us. We know where we're going. We know who holds us. And as we've talked about before, nothing can take us from his hand. We are held in that way. But the reason why we have this calling and this mission is not for us, but it's for those that do not yet know him. 
that Jesus died for as well. And that message needs to come. You think about even like the Ethiopian eunuch when he's talking about like, I want to learn, but how can I learn if nobody tells me? Uh, and right. thankfully Philip is there running along and, and the eunuch actually becomes baptized and a believer in Christ. Like how amazing that can be that we yep. live our lives of faith. We share the faith, not only for ourselves, but actually so that others too may join in uh, what God has for them. And all of us, really, we are the result of another person's testimony of Christ to us. And that's really a work of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit chooses to use vessels like us to do his work. Mm -hmm. And so each of us are the benefactors of someone who shared the gospel with us. And so how could we ever expect someone to stumble into the gospel on their own when each one of us were the recipients of a gift? And that's really what the gospel is. It's a gift given from one Christian to a future Christian. We are giving the gift of good news, of salvation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, let's take a look here at verse two, verse two. And it says, who was faithful to him who appointed him just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. Yeah. So Moses is going to play a really important part in this chapter the heading of your chapter probably said jesus a greater moses if you're reading from the esv or a print bible and when you think about moses you have a guy who was a relatively faithful servant to yahweh and he led the people of israel through the wilderness he led them through the exodus he uh, brought the message to pharaoh of the plagues that were coming to set god's people free but then you also know that moses had some faults, right? He was a human being just like anyone. He committed a murder. He uh, didn't always listen to exactly what God told him to do. You have uh, the situation at Meribah, which will come up a little bit later, where mm -hmm. Moses was told to speak to the rock, but instead he struck it. And so we know that Moses was a faithful servant and that uh, God ultimately uh, blessed his ministry. But when you think about Jesus, you have instead of a relatively good servant, you have a perfect servant, and he made himself a servant to his father's will. And you see in John 6, 38, he says of himself, for I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And Jesus was perfectly obedient in that calling. He always did what was pleasing in his father's sight. Hmm. So Jesus is now this even more faithful, this new greater type of Moses, and he's more than Moses, and that's really what they're establishing here. And there are really quite a few similarities between Jesus and Moses. For one, you think about the fact that they were both uh, threatened with bodily harm while they were infants, right? Um, there was a decree that all of the Hebrew firstborns would be, Hebrew males would be killed when Moses was born. There was a decree that uh, all the firstborns or the, the men born would be killed by Herod. So they both were at risk for their lives, and they were both kind of escorted after that into Egypt. They both escaped into Egypt, in a sense, and, and they both spent time uh, growing up in Egypt. And then you have uh, Moses leading the people through the Exodus. And before that, you have him establishing this Passover lamb, right? The, the Passover. Mm -hmm. And then Jesus not only... Uh, inaugurates a new kind of Passover, he becomes the Passover lamb. So instead of a blood smeared on our doorpost, we are covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's by that covering that God's wrath 
passes over us. And so Jesus is both the uh, implementer of the new Passover and the very Passover lamb by which we are saved. (laughs) He is a new Moses in the sense that he is leading us through an exodus. If you think about the life of a Christian, we really are uh, born into bondage, right? A slavery of sin. And Christ frees us, and then he leads us through the wilderness. And if you think of this life as a wilderness, we are onset by danger and trouble and struggle. And yet we know the new life that awaits us. We know that Christ will come again and that we will enter into an Mm. eternal promised land. So Jesus reflects Moses's life in an even greater sense that he is leading us on an exodus to this new great promise of everlasting life with him. Mm -hmm. So they both deliver out of bondage, right? Uh, Moses helped deliver the people from Egypt. Jesus frees us from the bondage of our sin and of death. Moses brought the old covenant, right? He went up the mountain and came down with a new covenant or with an old covenant. And the people of Israel bound themselves to that covenant. And Jesus instituted a new covenant in his body and in his blood. And we receive that new covenant whenever we take part in the sacrament. We are a part of that new covenant. And by that, we don't have to follow perfectly the Old Testament laws. We're still called to listen to God and to obey Mm -hmm. his commands. But instead, we believe and we trust and we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And by that, we are in this new covenant. We are uh, part of God's family, part of the inheritance of new life that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. You think about uh, the role Moses served. Really, he kind of went between the people and God. And so there's a really a funny passage in Exodus 20 where the people have heard God speak. They have witnessed uh, him speaking. They've seen the thunder and the lightning and they've heard the rumbling and they're terrified and rightly so, uh, I would imagine. And they say to Moses, you know, we really don't want to hear directly from God anymore. Uh, It's terrifying and we're pretty sure we're going to die if that keeps happening. So they say, we want you to speak to God and you will tell us what God has to say to us. So Moses becomes a mediator between the people of Israel and God. And so Jesus now is our great mediator. He is the one who stood between us and God and reconciled a new age of peace where we don't have to fear God. We can know and we can hear through Jesus the very words of God spoken to us, uh, a word of peace and of love and of reconciliation and of hope for our future. So they both serve this role as mediator. Mm -hmm. Jack, did you want to say something about why this would have been important to the people this author is writing to? Because it's so cool. You see just how, like, we have this gift of time and and perspective. As we've learned the scriptures, we have had them in their entirety here together. And this is how we've learned them. We've seen how cool Moses is. And we're able to see how Jesus is greater than Moses. But if you go back and put yourself in the, the shoes of the people that this letter was originally written to, uh, with their traditions, they were really raised in this Jewish background with the scriptures, with Moses being that central figure of all things. This is where they got everything from. As you heard from Jeff, all the incredible things that Moses got to be a part of and do, this is what was everything. And they didn't have that gift of time to reflect on how Jesus actually fulfilled all the things that came. They weren't able to see that perspective and they kept having this pressure to kind of go back to what they thought before. So you really see the author here of Hebrews is really trying to spell it out that Jesus is actually greater than Moses. This is what he came to do. All those things that we've been hoping for and waiting for, Jesus 
is the fulfillment of all that. Jesus is that. Yeah, and, and a part of that uh, reflects the probably the pressure of the rituals and the customs that mm-hmm. um, their their uh, heritage might have been exerting on them. They might have felt a need to continue some of the traditions and the customs of Judaism. Mm-hmm. And the author is saying, you're not bound by those same things anymore. Christ has set us free in that sense in, in which uh, not just Gentiles can come to faith, but uh, the Jewish people now had a better understanding of Christ and, and Christ fulfills all of those rituals and those customs that were practiced in the Old Testament. And he, is, uh, he offers a freedom that they had not experienced before. And so the author is trying to convey to them, you have new freedom in Christ, a freedom that you haven't experienced before. You are not bound by so many of those things that you used to be bound by. Yeah, and, and, and that's why he puts it that way in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, where it's like, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. No longer let yourselves be bound. Because the, like, the cage is unlocked. It's open. You don't have to be in there. But still, for some reason, we choose. I mean, I'm sure everybody's seen Tiger King or at least heard of it. You see all those beautiful animals. But since they've been in captivity for so long, they no longer could. It's not like you could put them into the wild and let them go. Like they, That freedom has been kind of taken from them in that captivity. And so they're kind of stuck in not knowing how to live free, how to actually move beyond what they've known in those uh, customs that man had created. Um, And so looking at verse three, it continues, for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the, excuse me, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Yeah, so we we had this, um, kind of established theme that Moses and Jesus share a lot of similarity. They are both faithful servants to Yahweh, Jesus much more so. But then building even upon that, Jesus is not just a servant. He is the son, right? And so he has uh, superseded Moses in that sense. He is not mm-hmm. just uh, he's not just a servant. He is really the head over this household of faith. And uh, it's important to understand none of this is an insult to Moses. Uh, it's actually just really meant to emphasize the supremacy of Christ as chapter one did. Mm-hmm. Um, but you think about really, and if we continue on to verse four, it says, for every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. And then verse five says, now Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. So it's not an insult to Moses to say that he was a servant in the household of God, especially when you understand uh, the nature of who God is. So um, we often think of servanthood as a bad thing or or carries some kind of negative connotation. But really, if you have a good master, uh, a master with a good heart and is merciful and, uh, offers you a, uh, a roof over your head, then you're in a pretty good spot. But if your master is a terrible man, then you are bound to suffer a terrible fate. So Moses served faithfully in God's house as a servant, and that was a tremendous honor. And, and Psalm 84 kind of reflects that reality that even being a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord is a tremendous honor. If you are a doorkeeper to the, to the God of all eternity, then you're in a good spot, really. So Jesus, though, is not just um, the son and and the heir over the household. He's the rock 
as Matthew 7 says, upon which the whole house stands. And so the house of God is built upon this saving rock of Jesus Christ. And, and no matter what storm comes against it or what may happen on the outside, the house stands firmly on the sacrifice, the death, the resurrection, and the power of Jesus Christ. Hmm. Yeah. Well said. And, and, and it's so cool. Like Moses got to be a part. God was able to use Moses to do all these great things. I mean, his name has been known for thousands of years. It's, it's a great thing. He's, he's a, one of those faith figures that we can learn a lot from. Uh, but again, what made him so great is not himself, but the one who he had faith in. And Jesus is that one. You take Moses out of the equation, Jesus is still active and working and doing all these great things. You take Jesus out of the equation, Moses is just some guy that doesn't talk very well. Like it's just one of those things where uh, without Jesus, it doesn't happen. But like how we've been getting at how it's not to knock Moses, it's not to knock us, but it puts us in our place, which is the best place to be in. Where I recognize I'm not God, I can't do it, but he is able to work through me to do incredible things. Like that's awesome. Like the confidence I have, like I don't have a responsibility to save other people. That's Jesus. He gets to do the hard stuff. I just have the responsibility to be faithful. Uh, and when he says, go here, I go here. And as Jeff said, when you have that right master, or I like to think I love playing sports, like you have that right coach. You're not arguing, should I do that or not? They just say, hey, do this. And you just go. You trust them. You understand they are putting you and not only you, but the whole team, the whole world in the best position. And that really reflects kind of the reality of what the Old Testament law was. And sure, there it was set of rules and um, commands by which the people conducted themselves. But um, it was also a marker of how they set themselves apart from the rest of the world. They were Yahweh's people. And to be Yahweh's people is a really good thing. It's, it's the best thing you can have for your life. To belong to Yahweh in their time, there was no greater honor. It meant there was no power beyond their leader. Mm -hmm. Yahweh was king and he has always been king. God, the father has always been king. And when we live in harmony with what he asks of us, then we reap the benefits of faith and, and of living in a, in a right way with God. And that doesn't always translate to like a material success, but it means that we can have uh, knowledge and comfort that we are at peace with God. And that is ultimately what the Old Testament law served as a way for the people to be at peace with their God. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, looking here at verse seven, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Yeah. So, uh, this phrase, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, uh, the spirit of God has really always been at work through God's word. Uh, even in the old Testament, any, any, thing that we read in the Old Testament is really an inspiration of the Spirit of God at work in the people of God. And you especially see that through the prophets, right? This is, they are receiving a vision from the Lord and the Holy Spirit is working through them. And the Spirit's work ultimately always testifies to Christ, always testifies to the Son of God, and it leads up to the Son of God and it prepares us once again to receive the Son of God when he comes back. And then you get this phrase, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Now this phrase, a hardened heart, would have been very familiar to uh, the Hebrews that this author is writing to. You think about Pharaoh, whose heart was hardened, who both hardened his heart, and it says that God hardened his heart, 
uh, when Moses was speaking to him to let God's people go. And it's this uh, sense of being obstinate. It's uh, also a sense of disbelief or an unwillingness to accept uh, what God gives you or what God asks of you. Uh, it is apathy towards God. So it has a, a bunch of different nuances to it. And Jeremiah even talks about a stubbornness of the heart. So it's, hmm. so we have, uh, the Bible speaks to man's heart so often, and there is a tendency, even in the people of God, for us to uh, become overly familiar with God, I guess is what I might say. And by that, I mean, we hear God, and yet we don't always listen to God. Uh, we get so used to the miracles he brings in our life, that the gift of even the breath in our lungs or, or a roof over our heads or, or the good relationships we have, that we start to take God for granted and we start to take his word for granted. We can be in God's word all the time, but if we don't let it take root in our hearts, then we start to get this hardening of our hearts, a, a unwillingness to listen to God and to do as he says. And so we take God for granted. And then the day of testing, which is that there's kind of some disagreement about what this meant. Uh, but the way I see it, there's two instances, the day of testing in which the people refused to enter into the promised land um, out of fear, out of disobedience, because they didn't uh, trust that God would deliver them when they entered into the promised land. And so what happened as a result of that, you get God saying, okay, you weren't willing to listen to me. Now you're going to keep wandering around in the wilderness. And this generation, these people that defied me, that willfully defied me, that weren't willing to trust me at my word, despite the works and the miracles that I did before them to even get them to this point, this generation will die in the wilderness. And uh, it's really kind of a terrible thing. I mean, think about everything they had seen, they, they had literally eaten manna from heaven, which God provided for them. They had seen the Red Sea parted. They had heard the voice of God from the mountain. They had seen Moses meet with God. And yet, when it comes time to enter into the promised land, a, a beautiful gift of rest, which we'll see here in a little bit, the people refuse because they have, in some ways, taken God's power for granted in their own lives. And so they're unwilling to do what he says because they don't think that God has the power to deliver them. Mm -hmm. and the other instance, oh, yeah, sorry. go ahead, Jack. No, you're good. You, you, I'll jump in after. The other instance is um, probably referring to Meribah, like I said before, in which Moses um, was not willing to do exactly what God told him. God says, speak to the rock and water will come forth from it. And Moses instead strikes the rock because he is frustrated with the people. And if you read um, the Old Testament, you, you get some funny themes of Moses blaming the people <laughs> for making him angry and him striking the rock. And that's why he doesn't get to enter the promised land. So that's kind of a funny read if you go back. Mm -hmm. But uh, again, Moses did not enter into the promised land. He did not enter into this uh, land of rest and uh, promise that God had given to his people because he was not willing to do what God said. He had become obstinate in his heart. It was a hardening of his heart in that moment. And so God says, you will not, you will see the promised land, but you will not enter into it. Yeah. And it, as well as you're just speaking to this rebellion, it, it just something I'm sitting here, like I'm definitely not the most rebellious person in the world, but even when you tell me, Hey, don't do that. Like the first thought is like, 
I kind of want to do that now. Like you think about how everybody's wrestling with this idea of stay indoors, please stay indoors. And now it's suddenly like, well, I didn't want to go out, but now that I can't go out, like outside seems really good. Go back to the garden of Eden where it's like, you won't surely die. Like just kind of this obstinance, not believing or not wanting to, or, or those kind of things It all pulls into it. This, this rebellion really does kick in. I, I mean, I even think talking, teaching confirmation to some middle school students and, we're talking about lying and how the devil's the father of lies and uh, all that kind of stuff. And I'm just posing the question, just trying to see like, is there ever a good time to lie? And, uh, and we're talking about lying. They just keep jumping on this, trying to find loopholes, trying to find ways in which that it works. Like they'll say lying is bad, but they're like, but what about it if it makes somebody feel good? Like they're just all these kind of things where they're trying to wiggle their way around to not really listen or not really do what God's word is saying rather than, taking God at his word, understanding he means what he says. He doesn't waste his words. He means what he says. And there's also this funny human dynamic that happens. And I remember learning this in Dr. Feaster's class at Concordia, quick little shout out. But uh, she was talking about how we as human beings, if you do a favor for somebody, you initially think it's not a big deal. But over time, you think it's a huge deal. Like uh, I did that favor. Now, a couple of weeks later, you remember how nice of a person you were to that guy. But if you receive a favor, initially, your thanks is super high. You love it. You're super thankful. And over time, your thankfulness goes down. Oh, I don't care that he did that for me anymore. That was two months ago. So they have this nature. We, we forget, as Jeff is saying, of how good God has been. Like even these people that experience pure miracles, no other explanation than God's hand moving and providing for them. And they experienced it for a long period of time. And he set it up in a system that they had to learn that trust each and every day. And even still, they didn't get it yeah. we are also going to struggle with it yeah we come to expect uh god to give us good things which we should because we have a good gracious god but the more we come to expect it the less we are grateful for it the less we mm -hmm. acknowledge uh his work in our life his his grace in our life and uh that's really a terrible thing uh, because god really just asks us anytime we enter into his house anytime we come to him that we enter just with a thankful heart with praise that we would thank him for the goodness that he has given us in our life and then we can ask of him like like any of us would ask of a good father hey thank you for this here's what else i need or here's what else i'm struggling with so really if you have a good relationship with a parental figure you don't just always go in making demands of that person <laughs> You trust that they give you good direction for your life. You thank them for the good gifts they give you. And there is a, a, a mutually beneficial relationship there. God loves to hear from us. He loves when we have a thankful heart. It's, he's not just a vending machine. It's not a cosmic <laughs> vending machine where we put in the right number and we put in some spare change and we get whatever we want. God desires to actually have an intimate relationship with us. Mm -hmm. And that's something that, God's people struggle with all the time. And we take for granted the actual relationship of God and man. Yeah. So we look at verse nine through 11 and it says, where your fathers put me to the test. And we kind of went over that and saw my works for 40 years. They saw God work in their lives visibly, undeniably for 40 years. Therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Those are hard words to read. That's uh, 
It's kind of a scary image of God that he would be provoked in anger. And go ahead, Jack. I was just going to say, when you think about this, how quick we might get provoked to anger. Remember that he said, saw my works for 40 years, 40 years where he did everything so they could experience it in that way. This was not a quick, oops, they made a mistake. They tripped up. This was 40 years where they got to experience all this goodness and continually their hearts went astray. And so God said, I'm going to try something different. Yeah. And if you are, if you serve as a parental figure in someone's life and you know, they are willfully making terrible choices and doing terrible things, you discipline them, you rebuke them because you, you would rather see them disciplined in the moment than to suffer an eternity of consequences. And God is the best kind of father in which he sometimes has to nip our bad habits in the bud because he doesn't want us to keep straying from him. He wants us to have abundance of life. That's what Jesus offers us, right? Abundance mm -hmm. of life. And God wants the same thing for us. And he wants abundance of life even into eternity. So sometimes there are consequences for sin and there are consequences for our actions. And we shouldn't see that as God turning his back on us or forsaking us. Instead, we should see it as they're real world, real world consequences. And oftentimes those are born out, out of God's love for us and, and to see us return to him. Mm -hmm. And when you, experience, so that, I was going to say, when you experience some of those consequences, you realize how loving his commands are. Like when you go through the 10 commandments, you can see his love behind each and every commandment there, because if you go against it, there's real pain that's going to happen in your lives and the lives of the people around you. Yeah. I mean, just one really easy example if you are unfaithful in your relationship with your spouse, there are real world consequences. And instead, God calls us to be faithful to our spouses, uh, not just because it is morally good, but because it creates a beautiful relationship. It creates a, a beautiful unity between husband and wife that lasts their whole life. And when you have that beautiful relationship, you see a glimpse of the relationship God wants for you. So God doesn't just give us idle commands because he wants to see us work really hard. He gives us commands because he wants the very best for our lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then you get this phrase, they shall not enter my rest. And this is not uh, like an eternal rest that he's talking about. Uh, it's not saying like these, this generation went to hell. What it's saying is they didn't enter into this land of rest, this, this promised land that God had uh, prepared for them. So what's the opposite of rest? It's kind of this wandering, right? And that's exactly what they did. For 40 years, they wandered, and then that generation died off, and then the next generation entered into the promised land. So that's what the author means by when he says, they shall not enter my rest. Mm -hmm. uh, looking then ahead to verses 12, 13, and 14. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Yeah, so there's that uh, section that says an evil, unbelieving heart. And we don't usually think of unbelief in terms of it being a sin and we don't usually talk about it in those terms but really without belief without faith 
we can't ever into, enter into a situation where we can find remission for our sins, where we can confess our sins to God and receive forgiveness. So whether or not you want to label unbelief as a sin or not a sin, the gravity of the situation remains the same. If we have unbelief, then we can't receive forgiveness because forgiveness only comes by belief in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, the, the mm-hmm. victory that he won for us on Easter. Mm-hmm. And it's also uh, worth remembering that this is, again, written to um, people that had already received the gospel and they're being led away by an evil, unbelieving heart. So there is an, an outside force that has refused the gospel or uh, has not heard the gospel that is trying to draw those that are already received the gospel that know Jesus, that is trying to pull them away from it. And they are using... Um, the deceitfulness of sin, right? That's the phrase that the author uses. And sin truly is deceitful. Uh, Satan is a master of lies and he is really, really good at what he does. And so often we can find ourselves in a sin and we can rationalize our way into it not being a sin. We can, we can really rationalize our way into doing anything we want if we don't have the voice of truth speaking into our lives. So sin can seem really great in the moment. And there are a lot of examples of that that I won't get into, but (laughs) sin almost always seems good or fun or exciting in the moment. But then afterwards, when we receive the truth of Jesus Christ in our hearts, we recognize that sin was really just an effort to lead us away from that truth, to, to keep the truth from us. So it's better to know the truth and live in that truth than to be caught up in the the temporary deceit of sin into that temporary thrill of doing something that ultimately we know is wrong in our hearts. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, like Christ's advice is, is that to like, think about these things, whatever's noble, what is right, whatever's true, think about these things. And when you're focused on the truth, it has a way of exposing all the lies around you. If you're letting the truth be one of the things you're focusing on, it gets blurry. Because as Jeff said, the devil's really good at what he does, and he likes to make his lies look like truth. But when you're focused on the truth in Jesus Christ, all the lies, all that kind of stuff, the fake nature of it is exposed, and it's much easier to see the truth for what is beautiful. That's why God yeah. tells us to take shelter in him, in his, in his word. Uh, yeah. And I, and I really like how this part is written. I think it's specifically verse 13. Uh, where it talks about, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today. Like, ah, see, this is a, this is a tricky, tricky uh, writer here in Hebrews. Man, I see what he did there, though, because it always seems to be today. I can't seem to get away from it, you know. And I know in quarantine, every day seems the same. You don't know what day of the week it is. But I'm pretty sure you know that every day you're in is today. Uh, And so we always have this call where today is the best day to passionately follow Jesus. Today is the best day. Uh, And for some reason, this, this has stuck with me since childhood from the great show, SpongeBob. When you always think about like, I'll do it tomorrow. Mr. Krabs has a great line where he just says, what is today, but yesterday's tomorrow. Like we can always, always put stuff off. We really can. It's, it's so funny. And Hey, SpongeBob's got some wisdom, you know? But you think about today truly is is the best day. Today is the day. Yep, that's true. And I I love verse 13 because it really reflects how the church should operate. And uh, it is our job as Christians to exhort one another to follow Christ, to to listen to 
God's word of truth in our lives, to hold each other accountable. And that can sometimes be a frustrating thing. It can be uh, a thing in which we can feel shame or embarrassment, but really it's a good, beautiful thing that God has given us because none of us are strong enough of our own power, of our own volition to accept Christ into our hearts and to follow him. We need the the work of the Holy Spirit first and foremost, and, and that is the only way in which we can even begin to follow Jesus Christ. And then we need the fellowship of the saints to keep us accountable, to remind us of the truth, because there are so many things out there that seek to lead us away. And it's not, I think really we kind of struggle with the idea that um, these things that can lead us away from Christ are not malicious. They're, they're just other things that exist out there, but anything that doesn't uh, that actively pulls you away from Christ is malicious and it, it seeks to do you really eternal harm. And so as brothers and sisters of Christ, we have to watch out for each other. We ha- we are our brother's keeper, referencing something from the Old Testament, right? We are looking out for the well-being of our brother and of our sister. And it's important that we have that fellowship because sometimes we live with blinders and we can't see the mistakes we're making. So someone else needs to come and take off those blinders. They need to expand our view a little bit. Yeah, and and C.S. Lewis put it this way. When you're talking about things that don't seem that bad, he said that cards can be just as bad as murder if it leads you away from God. Hmm. Like the devil will use all things. He might not be able to make you a murderer, but he can get you addicted or looking at something else, busy, whatever, what have you. And so, Jeff, I love how you mentioned this because you've been a brother to me for a number of years now, which is great. And I just we, we've laughed about this before, but even senior year of college when uh, I had a few assignments, we'll just say it a few, maybe it was a few times, a few times, a few, but had some stuff that I needed to get done. But I was playing uh, tennis for school. I was working and doing other things. And then I used my free time to play basketball or to enjoy the last social life before everybody moved across the country. And uh, Jeff knew my list of assignments that I had to get done. And so he basically, uh, was my, <laughs> my keeper in that way where he would shut down things that I was trying to do, whether it be try to leave the house or to do other things. And, and, you know, sometimes it was a little aggressive, but that's what I needed because I was being obstinate and, uh, got me to focus on what I had to do. Like I would try to wander out and get distracted and he would basically holler, get back in there, get to work, finish it. And then we'll do this. So, and so it's just great to have those people keeping you accountable, as funny and as goofy as it can be, uh, but it's huge. And then on the flip side of that, not only kind of getting on you, but think about the times you're still going to mess up, even with the best people around you in your life, you're going to mess up and how amazing it is to have that accountability, but to have that person that's giving you that hand up when you have fallen, when you have messed up and gets to extend that grace that reminds you that, yes, what you did was wrong and Christ's grace is big enough for you. Mm-hmm. He, he loves you. He's got you picks you back up. And that's been one of my favorite parts of being married uh, is to have that hand up, to have that person that fully knows you and fully loves you and is able to pick you back up. There's been nights where I've been beating myself up where I'm like, I didn't do my job well enough. I didn't do this well enough. I wish, I wish, I wish that she's able to bring that peace of mind, reminding me that it doesn't all rely on me actually to rely on Christ and to point me to the good things that God has done through those things that I thought were perhaps more on the failures end. So it's great to have on both ends, someone to keep you accountable and also someone to pick you back up. Yeah. And the reality is this hardening of hearts that the author of Hebrews is talking about. is not the same as uh, the reality that we all have doubts sometimes and we all have fears and we all have concerns about the future. And so uh, there's, 
a hardening of the heart is something different than that. And we need Christian brothers and sisters to remind us of the faith we have, to remind us of the hope we have, to remind us of the certainty that we have in Jesus. And uh, sometimes we need an outside voice speaking to us so we can hear things clearly because we can really convolute things if we're left to our own minds. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then, and kind of the example that I wanted to give is if Jesus is the shepherd, right? And we are his flock. Sometimes we're the sheep and we're idiots. We wander, (laughs) we make mistakes, we stray away from God's truth. We stray away from our good shepherd. And sometimes we're the sheepdog in which we are commanded by the good shepherd to bring people back in, to, uh, to bring them back into the fold, back into the, the good pasture in which we can eat and delight in the presence of our good shepherd and know that we are taken care of and cared for. So sometimes you're the sheep and sometimes you're the sheepdog, but you're never the shepherd. And that's a good thing. That's a very good thing. And so to round out the chapter here, we have verses 15 through 19. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Yep. That really just kind of drives home all the points we've just made. The the hardening of the heart, the, the willful obstinateness to God. And these people did not enter into the promised land. Uh, they weren't forsaken by God, but they didn't get to receive the delight and the treasure that God had prepared for them as a people to receive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I want to encourage all of you when we think about, man, I haven't heard God's voice. You've heard it today through this podcast. It may not have come for Jeff and I, but you have heard the scriptures being read and you are hopefully reading the scriptures along with us. And so you have heard his voice and you can read his living word. Uh, in times like these that we're in in the world have a tendency to wear us down. We're not necessarily wandering a big area. Maybe we're wandering our house because we just want to move a little bit. And sin will then come in and try to lie and try to say, I have ways to make things easier. But instead, again, as we've talked about, it's a lie. It'll leave you more anxious, more bitter, and leave you kind of coming back for more sin because you're hoping then this time it'll, and it never fulfills. And, and so with that, as you're a little confined, maybe struggling with different things, I want to, uh, to know, let you know that you don't have to be strong enough to beat sin. And quite honestly, you're not. And, and I know that because I'm not, and we're human. And so what we get to do is we get to live by faith and we get to have faith in the words that come in first Corinthians chapter 10, 13. And please hear these words, this promise that no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Jesus is with you today and will be tomorrow. Yep. So being God's word, and be in community with people of faith. Uh, really, that they are sometimes the best reminder. Um, and God has deliberately put people in your life. And although we're physically separated, I know, for instance, Jack is always just a text message away. If I need something, this whole podcast started because yeah. I was like, hey, man, I need to find a way to do the thing I love to do, which is talk about the Bible. And Jack said, 
okay, great. And it has been a blessing to my life just to do this silly little podcast you know, <laughs> yeah, every week. Absolutely. And so God, God has built me up by the presence of getting to talk about his word with my brother in Christ. And so if you need something, if, if you have uh, any need to just talk to someone or pray with someone, know that you can reach out to Jack and I, and mm-hmm. uh, Jack will probably share a link of our phone numbers in mm-hmm. the podcast. He can share mine. Uh, or reach out to the people that you know love you, that you know in your heart love Jesus, and they have a beautiful way of reminding you of the promises that we're clinging to right now. Absolutely. Amen. Amen. So that's going to wrap it up for this. Uh, We'll be back next week with more of the Book of Hebrews. Feel free to reach out. Uh, Until then, everyone be safe. God bless. God bless you.